This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the daily choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, tomorrow is the, um, the end of the Easter season. If you're praying the Liturgy of the Hours with me, I do that every morning at, um, at 6 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Central on Facebook Live, and then I pray Compline each day at 9 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Central on Facebook Live. If you're doing that with me, um, several people I know use iBrevery as their source of that, but I, I have been really getting into using the actual breviary, the book, uh, holding it in my hand and having something that's set apart. Because, you know, I use my phone for everything, right? Um, I get my work email on my phone. I scroll Facebook and Twitter with my phone. I interact with the world through my phone. I listen to my music through my phone. And so I want to have something different. There's something uh, really significant about sitting down in a specific place, pulling out a specific book that is set apart for one thing and one thing only. You know, it's really easy when I, I sit down to pray if I'm pulling out my phone, and I've done that before with iBrevery, uh, I pull out my phone or I pull out the computer and it's so easy to get drawn into some other capability of that that device and to lose the spirit of prayer entirely. So um, I am a big proponent of electronic media and, and, uh, and electronic books, uh, but not in this case. In this case, I like to sit down with something that is dedicated only to prayer, with that prayer book. And so if you're using the prayer book along with me, the, um, we're going to switch books after Sunday night, after, um, after evening prayer. So we'll do Compline back again over in the Ordinary Time book. So we're, we're just coming to the end of the Easter season with the celebration of the Feast of the Solemnity of Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, we celebrate that Christ, who has lived for us and suffered and died— and descended into hell for us, and was raised on the third day from the dead, walked around for 40 days with his apostles uh, and followers, uh, appearing to them, letting them see him again after the resurrection, and then ascended into heaven. We experienced that. We talked about that last week. It happened on the Thursday before uh, last week. Uh, And so here... He has now gone into heaven. He's raised our human nature, and which is now, as he still has it, as he still has his body, has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So not only did he go to intercede for us, but he elevated human nature to a place where it now dwells fully and forever, right at the right hand of God the Father, the Almighty. So now he does something very particular and peculiar. In, uh, in the Feast of the Solemnity of the Pentecost, he gives us a sharing of his nature. He gives us the Holy Spirit that now dwells within us. And so just as we have, he has taken on himself part of us, he has also bestowed in us part of himself. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm really struck um, with this uh, the, the spousal imagery, which uh, is all throughout Scripture, as he talks about Zion as as his bride, and he it talks over and over throughout Scripture with this spousal imagery. We see it again in Paul 
in a couple of places where he talks about marriage and then says, psych, I wasn't really talking about marriage. I was talking about our relationship, Christ with the church, right? All of a sudden, he's trying to give us this spousal imagery of how the church relates to God. And there's really so much we could say about uh, Pentecost. Um, But kind of what I've been sitting with and, and kind of meditating on a little bit is this spousal imagery and this relational imagery Uh, thinking of it in terms of these different aspects of Christ's love for us and his sacrifice for us, and thinking about it in terms of the way that I relate to my my bride, my spouse, who uh, was gone a little bit last week and uh, took one of the babies with her, and I had all the rest of them. Uh, (laughs) We call it the daddy-pocalypse whenever that happens. Uh, So we had that experience. She had to go to a funeral, and I I held down the fort, uh, which was... um, a little bit more challenging this time around because we're also dealing with quarantine and I'm also in the middle of starting up a new job. And so life was interesting. But in that, as I'm meditating on this relationship I have with my bride and I'm looking at this this Pentecost uh, and God giving us his spirit here, uh, I'm struck by something. And this is not anything I think terribly profound, but it's something that's sticking with me right now. That, that Christ, of course, he comes in the incarnation and he comes to be present with us. And that's that's a good thing, right? And I remember those those early days when I wanted to spend as much time as possible with the person who was now my bride. And I, I was able to be with her, and I had a joy just being with her in those times. Uh, and then, of course, you have the suffering and the passion and the death uh, of Christ putting the needs of his bride— the needs of humanity above his own needs and submits his will to the will of the Father in order that he might redeem us to himself. And so I I look at this as being those early days of marriage, right? There is this sacrifice that you go through in order uh, to, uh, to really join with your beloved. But here at Pentecost, we have the promise of enduring fidelity. And this is something that, yes, you make the vow when you get first married, but it's something about going through that first difficult time together and seeing how the other responds and realizing, oh, they really are not going anywhere. And so here we have this with Pentecost. We have this as Christ has has shown his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see that, that, um, that he cares enough about us that he will go to great lengths for our good. But here at Pentecost, we get the true witness of Christ's enduring fidelity. He looks at us and he says to us, you know, we talked last week at, at the Ascension, he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he ascends into heaven and is taken from their sight. And there's this sense of, oh, okay, well, um, how does that work exactly? <laughs> how, how exactly does it work that you are going to be with me even to the end of the age? And that, that question was answered these nine days later at Pentecost, where he says, this is how. I'm going to pour out my spirit, the full sharing of who I am, the isness of the Godhead, coming and being not only with us as it was in Christ, but in us, that we are elevated 
into that communion, that sharing in the divine nature by this gift of the Spirit. And we receive this gift in baptism. And then this gift is uh, solidified and strengthened and brought to a fruition with the sacrament of confirmation. And so it's not something that you and I have to go and, and do any big thing for or even really get a great sense of, hey, look at this, I've got it. No, we have the presence, the enduring presence of the Godhead living within us by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of our confirmation. We have been given a share in the divine nature. And God says to us, I love you. I have given everything for you. I have sacrificed myself for you. And now I dwell within you, right? Getting into this language out of John 15, um, where this abide language, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well, that if you abide in me and I in you, and there's this sense that there is uh, a sharing of us being in Christ and Christ through the Holy Spirit being in us. Now, if this is hard to understand, it's because it's hard to understand. <laughs> We're talking about the Godhead here. And so that's not something that's just like, oh, a light bulb comes on. I completely understand that. Uh, it is a, uh, a little bit of a mystery and a mystery that we are privileged to share in. So this, uh, this Feast of Pentecost is, in a certain way, uh, the feast day of this show. Because this is the day that by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live outside the walls, right? If you look at uh, post-resurrection, you have the apostles all gathered in the upper room with the doors locked and frightened, and Christ comes into their midst and shocks them and surprises them, and they see that he's still alive. And so what do we see in these coming days? Do we see them going out and uh, converting great crowds and preaching and with boldness? No. We see uh, Peter decide he's going to go back to fishing, right? We see a whole bunch of activity that's like, oh, well, that chapter's behind us. But there's no sense of the greater mission that God has for them. They don't have a context yet for these three years that they have walked with Christ around Israel. And so it takes that sharing in the divine nature, that gift of the Holy Spirit, for them to begin to understand the mission that was given to them at the Ascension. He said at the Ascension, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gave them that, but he also told them to wait in Jerusalem until the promise comes. It's kind of, kind of like all those movies where it's like, wait until I give the signal. What's the signal? Oh, you'll know when you see it. And this is exactly what happened with Pentecost as they, uh, they're waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit so that they can go out and, and do the mission that was given to them. But in that waiting, in these nine days between the Ascension and Pentecost, they gathered together in prayer. And this is something that, um, that I want to encourage you and invite you to do uh, we don't have these nine days before Pentecost unless you've already been doing that Pentecost novena. But I want you to realize and, and contemplate the fact that in order 
to have the boldness and the gifts and the charism and the everything else of the Holy Spirit, it starts with docility. It starts as we lay down our anticipation and our expectation of what it's going to look like. And we just ask for the presence of Christ to be with us. We ask for the Spirit to come and have his way in us. We repeat that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we remember and we remind ourselves that it's only in surrendering ourselves to the Spirit that we can ever see these fruits of the Spirit come to fruition. Well, this is a really tricky topic, talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to dive into it as deeply as we can in the little bit of time that we have today. To explore this today, we're talking with Dr. Matthew Leverin, who is the James N. and Mary D. Perry Jr. Chair of Theology at Mundelein Seminary, co-director of the Chicago Theological Initiative. He's the author or editor of over 30 books, uh, including a translator of, uh, of The Trinity, uh, by Jill Emery, and uh, back in 2016, uh, published Engaging the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Love and Gift in the Trinity. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I, I want to, tomorrow is Pentecost, and we, we've gone through the whole season of Easter where we celebrate the resurrection. Uh, last week, nine days ago, we celebrated the the ascension where uh, Christ ascended into heaven, gave us the Great Commission, said, go out and do all the world, uh, but first, wait in Jerusalem until the promised gift arrives. So we have this first novena where the, the disciples stay in Jerusalem, kind of unsure what to do and where to go next, and then all of a sudden, the day of Pentecost happens. And we don't quite know what to do with that uh, as, as believers, as Christians. Uh, there, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty or ambiguity when we talk about the Holy Spirit. There's some really widely divergent ideas about who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, and so I thought maybe we could clear the air a little bit today and look at the theology of the Holy Spirit and come to a, maybe a clearer understanding of, of who this person of the Trinity is as we, as Catholics now, go forward into ordinary time to live out this Great Commission uh, empowered by this person who we don't understand, the person of the Holy Spirit. So kind of explain to us that, that simple question that ought to be able to answer in, a, in a, you know, a sentence or so. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, I'd like to begin with the, the names of the Holy Spirit, with the way that he is, is praised. And so uh, St. Augustine you know, helped us to think of praising him as love, and as gift. Now, that that doesn't mean, of course, that um, you know the, the son um, or the father, you know, are not loved because they are. They are loved in their in their um, blessed unity. Mm-hmm. But but the name love though in, indicates um, the place of the spirit in the eternal processions of the in the imminent Trinity, the in the Holy Trinity Himself. And so the names love and gift speak about, help us to praise the Holy Spirit as he really is in, in his relation to the Father and the Son. And that's why those names mean a lot to me when, when I, I'm able to praise him as a love and as gift. And I know that I'm, I'm speaking a truth about him as in, the, in his relation to, 
to um, the father and son. Mm-hmm. I think maybe part of our difficulty with with seeing the Holy Spirit as as love and as gift is we tend to think of persons and of ourselves based on uh, our utility. You know, our, our societies kind of move towards this utilitarianism and that we find our value in the things that we do. Uh, and so by virtue of that, we try to figure out what it is that the Holy Spirit does so that we can kind of quantify him and, and figure out who he is. And you're talking about this on a completely different level than the action of the Holy Spirit and looking at the being of the Holy Spirit, which is maybe a different way to look at it than many of us have started out as. Well, that's true. I, I think that it is very valuable to to think about the mystery of the of the Holy Trinity and to begin with ador- adoration and, and praise um, as we think about uh, the mystery of that triunity. You know, and so and so we ask ourselves, well, what does make the Holy Spirit different? You know, who who is he? <laughs> you know, because we know he's God, mm-hmm. and as as God, he's he's not different from the from the Father as God because the Father is God and and the Spirit is God, they're the same God. Mm-hmm. But but he is different from the Father, and he's different from the Son, and he's different precisely. Um, this is what Augustine helped us to see, because we praise him as love and as gift. Mm-hmm. And so now, if you if we're trying to say, well, what does that really mean? Well, <laughs> then we get then we get into um, more technical discussions also. Right. So let's let's look maybe at some as we've we've said now the Holy Spirit is love and is gift maybe to clarify that a little bit more let's look at what doesn't distinguish the Holy Spirit what are some of the misconceptions that we've had throughout history throughout the the whole stretch of theology in history uh, what have been some misunderstandings that we have had about the person of the Holy Spirit well in terms of the misunderstandings. Well, some of the some, one misunderstanding is the notion um, that the spirit has opens up something that goes beyond um, the the sun, and so essentially the sun comes as Jesus Christ, and then later, then the spirit spirit shows up and inaugurates uh, an age that um, is not really related to Christ, but is sort of better than Christ. Mm-hmm. That, that's a misunderstanding that that pops up. Um, Henri de Lubac was very worried about that. It's, yeah. So it's it's a sort of a sort of Gnosticism, but it's um, he he refers it to um, Joachim of Fior in the medi- the medieval medieval monk. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see this a lot in. Um, I grew up in the in the Methodist tradition, but oddly enough, uh, which is, is not typically considered part of the Methodist tradition, I grew up in a charismatic kind of little mm-hmm. faction within the Methodist tradition. And I saw this a lot, that there was this um, this idea that, well, if you are uh, a mature Christian, you're going to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that looks like this, and Jesus is good and it brings you to salvation and brings you to relationship with God, but it's really the Holy Spirit, and it kind of elevates everything in there. It's really the Holy Spirit that makes you a, a mature uh, believer. Uh, mm-hmm. And so... While I while I see seeds of truth in that, I think that there's, as you mentioned, also this danger of, um, of somehow trying to dissect the Trinity beyond what's possible. <laughs> well, for for me, uh, you know, the the real privilege of being Christian 
you know, what I love, what I love about being Christian is that is that we get to worship and we we get to praise um, our Creator, mm-hmm. and the Creator is this mystery of um, you know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and we know that as one God, but but really the the key thing I I think is that to to be a mature Christian means to be in in relation to all three all three persons of the Trinity. But that relation is constituted mainly by by praise, by worship. It's it's not necessarily constituted by um, having a particular uh, spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. You know, remember St. Paul says that um, that we'll all receive uh, different gifts. Now, now the Spirit is gift, and we will in our relationship with Him, we will experience Him as gift. But we're going to have di- we'll have different gifts. Mm-hmm. We're talking today again with Dr. Matthew Levering about the Holy Spirit, and, and so. I wanted to touch on this a little bit because very often we we do see uh, this tendency for people who talk about the Holy Spirit to emphasize the fact that the Holy Spirit gives gifts and that uh, that those gifts empower us to live out the Christian life in specific ways. But I want to focus a little bit more on this initial statement of yours of the Holy Spirit as gift. the The Holy Spirit Himself is the gift that we should desire. And everything else that flows from that is is secondary. So, w- what do you what do you mean by the Holy Spirit being is gift? Well, in the, in the eternal Trinity um, Himself, you know, it, it does simply means that He comes forth um, as the gift of Father and Son, and so it, it's a way really of distinguishing the coming forth of of the Son. The Son comes forth as Word. You know, and so that it's distinguished, um, it's a way of distinguishing that really from the way that the Spirit comes forth. The Spirit comes forth as love, and love is the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. So the Spirit comes forth as the love of the Father and Son. Um, this is the this is Augustine's position, but but even the Christian East um, holds a position that's not not dissimilar, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Anyway, so I really, I do think, though, that the key thing, is, as I would see it, is to begin really by praising the Holy Trinity and by recognizing that um, as, we, as we ponder on the divine word, the logos, and the, the, um, the spirit, we, we are rejoicing in this um, mysterious communion, um, and we're being taken up into, into that communion. But, of course, it's not a competitive communion. It's a, um, a communion of complete... Uh, sharing and, and so on. So, our, so I think I think the main thing then is that we, we remember that as we as we praise the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we do know that by being in relation with the Spirit, we're in we're in relation with, with gift, and and therefore He is the, the giver who um, is trans, transforming us. But on the other hand, um, you know, we don't put that in competition as as though it was some sort of competitive thing with the sun, or as though um, as though the people who have seem to have more gifts are are sort of the winners, as you <laughs> said, <it was> <laughs> the Christian winners. <laughs> well, and Paul even talked about this. There was that uh, all the way back in the beginning. You had uh, the people of um, of Corinth who who saw this as, well, I've got, look, I've got the more demonstrative gift, so my gift's a better one. And I, I, he comes in, I love, you know, it's it's always fun, maybe that's not the right word, but to see a, um, a sarcastic apostle, right? He comes in and says, well, listen, listen, you guys, I've got more gifts than all of you put together. 
and so you shouldn't be boasting about this. Like if we're going to boast, uh, I, I, I'll outshine, I'll outshine all of you, but, but there is something more desirable than this than merely um, measuring and comparing against one another. Yeah, that's it. And, and also, also when Paul says, you know, the greatest gift is love. And, and he says, if you have faith that so as to move mountains, but you don't have love essentially, but what love turns out to be is, is grounded really in this in praise, pra- praise of God, actual actual worship of um, of God, where where we're not we're not trying to do to do that for some sort of um, self aggrandizing or or kind of to put it on our CV, you know. Right. You know it's just simply that we just we just praise God, we just rejoice in Him and give Him glory that that He is as that He's He's a real. Um, communion. He's a mm-hmm. one God, and yet a glorious communion of persons. So he is infinitely one and simple, and yet he's he's a communion of persons. So how how this is, we we don't know, but we do know that it it meets it answers to our greatest desire, our desire to you know to be in relation. And, and yet to be in relation that has distinction in it as well, you know. Now, for those who um, are listening who are not familiar with the term, you said he is a simple. Uh, talk a little bit about what it means, because this is a paradox that God is, is three, but he is one, because a simple has no parts, and yet we have these distinct persons within the Trinity. So unpack that term uh, before we move on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the the persons are are not parts of the Trinity. They're they're just persons, and so the persons are distinguished um, by relations of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all, all this means really is just that they're they're completely completely simple and one in their in their holy divinity. That they're not they're not um, they're not distinct from each other in any way that pertains to divinity. Mm-hmm. You know, they're only distinct um, in their order of origin as in their own in their own communion but they're not distinct in their in their divinity so and their divinity is absolutely simple by that does it just means that god simply is what he is and he's he's the infinite infinite act so now look i I think honestly that these these type of things can't um be fully understood especially not in a little brief time you know that we have together uh, you and me but but the main thing is, it's glorious. God is so glorious, and and we get we get to praise Him. That's that's what the Holy Spirit does for us, and and our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to really praise our Lord. We're talking today with Dr. Matthew Levering, who is the chair of theology at Mundelein Seminary and co-director of the Chicago Theological Initiative. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and if you want to dig deeper, there's a lot to dig in. He's got a book that uh, out in 2016 called Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Love and Gift in the Trinity. We'll put a link to that up on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to this conversation right after the break, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we are talking today as we get ready to celebrate Pentecost tomorrow, where the Holy Spirit came on uh, the believers that were gathered together, 120 in the upper room. And from those 120, they went out empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the whole world was changed, flipped on its head almost overnight as we had 3,000 added to the number of the church that day. And the church, which had received its mission at the Ascension, now was empowered for that mission uh, to go out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth to be witnesses for uh, for Christ, for the Messiah, for the reconciling uh, of, God, of man to God through Christ's redemptive work on the cross by the power of the Spirit. To explore this idea of the Holy Spirit and maybe get a little bit more clarity on it, uh, we're talking today with Dr. Matthew Leverin, who is the James N. and Mary D. Perry Jr. Chair of Theology at Mundelein Seminary. Uh, Dr. Levering, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. So in the previous uh, segment, you talked a couple of times, you brought up this this phrase that we come to understand the Holy Spirit better uh, by beginning with worship. Now, I'd I like to really kind of dig into what words mean, because so often we have different meanings and different definitions for words. And so we'll say one thing and we think we've communicated and the other person is thinking something <laughs> completely different. Uh, I think of the the old quote by uh, George Bernard Shaw, that the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. So let's, let's uh, unpack this word a little bit and talk about what does the church mean? What does theology mean uh, when it talks about worship? Well, that's a wonderful question. And of course, um, Jesus Christ is right at the, at the center of that. And, and when the Holy Spirit um, at Pentecost, you know, he, he makes us a new creation. He makes his, um, his people a new creation. So he, he empowers them in that, in that amazing way to, to uh, be united, united fully and become Christ's body. You know, share in the spirit of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so they they share. We share in Christ's own spirit. And that's that's pretty amazing. And so, of course, what what does Christ do? What's the what's the thing that Christ does? Well, he gives glory to his Father. He he obeys his Father and he, he gives glory to him. Well, well, so where does he give glory? Well, you know, he gives glory to him. Well, especially all, all through his life, of course, but especially on the on the cross where he offers himself. Uh, to to the Father, and He's glorified on the cross, and so we're we're going to share in, you know, we we get the power by sharing in His Spirit. We get the power to become part of that. Of course, it's through baptism, mm-hmm. you know, and and the faith, you know. But uh, worship then really is is that we're gonna we're gonna share with Jesus Christ and giving glory to the Father, and in their and in being glorified by the Father. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um you know I. I when I was a Protestant and I worked in, in parish, well, I guess it was congregational ministry at the time. Uh, my title was um, the minister of worship and arts, which meant that I was the, uh, the liturgist and the, the musician. And, mm. and so at that time there was this idea that, okay, well, worship is the thing that we do on Sunday or worship is the kind of music that we play. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so coming into, um, into the Catholic church, some of what I've seen specifically in the contemplative saints is this idea that worship is our natural response to seeing God for who He is? That's it. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So oftentimes it's very difficult to to worship. You know, we our minds are our minds are kind of off everywhere, this and that. But the truth is, is that every every minute of the day, every minute of the day is is time for us to worship. You know, to give praise to, to the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, to um, His Father, and to the Holy Spirit, uh, one God. You know, so we're we're called to that every minute, every every minute, and and so that's where we gotta we gotta lift up our hearts to that. And and then Jesus, though, is the path, and so um, sacramental worship, you know, through in the Eucharist, celebrating the Eucharist. Well, that's that's the heart of everything, of course, because there Jesus is right is right there, and we're caught up right with him, you know, in, in that powerful way. So that's, you know, that's obviously very profound. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Dr. Matthew Levering from Mundelein Seminary about the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, I've, I look at, um, at the way that we worship, and uh, we we're worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's hard to kind of differentiate. Yes, we're worshiping God, uh, but the different persons are available to us and they're available to us in relationship personally, individually, as well as the fact that we are in communion with the whole Trinity. Uh, but how can we, uh, maybe some practical steps, maybe how does the church uh, differentiate her worship that might inform our worship in a way that we can begin to and maybe hone in on what it looks like to worship the Holy Spirit as differentiated and distinct from worshiping the Son. Uh, that's a good, that's a very good question. You know, I, I think that, I mean, I do think that in every act of worship, we are differently related. We're related to the Spirit, to the Son, to the Father. But, but of course, you know, um, if if you're going to be worshiping the spirit, um, then what what the spirit is going to want to do is to unite you to the sun, <laughs> and what, what what that's going to do is unite. What the sun's going to want to do is unite you to the father. So there there is no there really is no um, worship that is not a worship of of the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, because they are they are so profoundly. Um, uh, they're so relation. They're, they're pure relation, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like I'm getting into um, a relational uh, sharing of joy, you know. And so, what are we sharing then when we when we worship the Spirit? Well, we're sharing the Son and we're sharing the Father because um, the Spirit comes forth from the Father and Son. So we we're sharing in His relation to the to the Father and the Son. And what that really means is. That, that we're actually getting to share in that relational joy, that that in, incredible relational joy of sharing in the divine life. Mm-hmm. And so we're becoming a new creation. You know, that the spirit, the key thing that the spirit um, makes us is he makes us a new creation. It's just like when the spirit blows over the waters at, in Genesis one, you know, it's, it's creation. Mm-hmm. Well, the spirit, at Pentecost makes us a new creation. And um, the, 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 the thing that we're made to do though, is we're made to enter into the Sabbath. You know, that's our, that's our goal. That's the purpose of everything. And the Sabbath is to share in God's rest, to share in God's, God's glorification, you know, to be the priest King who gives that right praise 
to our creator. You know, just like Adam and Eve were called to be and to be the true image of, of God in that way. So, so that's, what, um, that's what we're being invited into in this new creation when the spirit is poured out. And the spirit makes us able to do that, to really enter into the Sabbath. It's because, of course, Christ, is, Christ does that. And so we're joined to him and, and we're joined to him as he, as he enters into that, um, to the heavenly temple. And, and he draws us in by his own spirit that he pours out. And we come, our, we come to share in his life and his life is the life of, of his own intercession at, at the right hand of the father. So we're, we're caught up in that praise and joy um, that he has right now, right here, right now. You know, there's such a, a sense of having to shed, and this, I guess, comes part and parcel with being made new creations, but having to shed our own uh, worries and our the, the, the way that we want to just kind of control life and kind of get a that, that thousand foot view of what's coming ahead so that we can have some sense of, uh, of autonomy and the Holy spirit saying, no, 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 it's okay. You know, you don't have to drive. You can, uh, I'm, I'm here, right. I'm the advocate. I'm the, the paraclete. Now you can just let go of those worries and give them to me and rest in the fact that you are in relationship with the Trinity. Not that everything's going to turn out the way that we want it to, but, knowing that everything's going to turn out with us being in the presence of the Trinity. No, that's right. That's the beautiful thing about Pentecost. It's very beautiful. You know, of course, Pentecost, they were, they were filled with the spirit and, and so on. But of course it, 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 it involved a lot of suffering in terms of what um, life in the spirit turned out to be mm-hmm. in a certain sense, because of course they were all sent into the world and, and most of them ended up, mar- ended up being martyred. <laughs> you know, so of course it's, um, it's not. It's not exactly, um, you know. Uh, welcome to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Welcome to something easy, as it right. were. You know? uh, but the, so the spirit really brings us in. But again, the the the, the great joy and and the great joy in life really is to be in in that communion that is that is our God, mm-hmm. and so that's that's kind of the big deal, and that's what that's what we get in Pentecost. You know, is that we're we're caught up by Jesus' own spirit into into His body and and united to Him and 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 as He gives glory to the Father and so and just a, a short time just short time earlier than this they were locked in a room and frightened and so there had to be some sense of yes they were empowered but they were also willing to get beyond their fear and willing to to follow the direction that God gave to them to go out and to to be bold witnesses. The the boldness came through the Holy Spirit, but the the abandonment came had to come before that. I, I like what you say. I mean, yeah, the um, the boldness that they receive they um, they become they become witnesses because they they share the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ is is one you know that is that's obviously bold because Christ is willing to die for us. He doesn't cling to his own life. Essentially, it's it's no longer about it's no longer about them. It's really, and it's not about us either. You know, so it, um, they're they're able to not cling to the to their own lives, but they're really they're able to simply give testimony to, to that which they have come to know. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that we can um, can more clearly, I think, understand the church gives us so much richness 
uh, to understand who God is and what our relationship to him is. Uh, during this quarantine, I've taken up reading, uh, praying the liturgy of the hours uh, with in, in the morning and the evening, and I haven't gotten all the hours in yet. But uh, but just seeing uh, that that the difference that that makes in recognizing God's presence with me throughout the day when I start the day and I end the day with His presence, and then another thing that that I think the church does that's just beautiful in our worship is that on these big feasts, she gives us a little bit of an extra view into the person of the Trinity uh, through the sequences that we have in our Mass. Mm -hmm. So we've got this lovely sequence at Easter that we do every day during the Easter octave. We have another sequence, and that that one talks about Christ's redeeming work. And then tomorrow we're going to hear this beautiful sequence on the person of the Holy Spirit. Of course, as you said, you can't really separate uh, there's uh, little bits of the Father and the Son also in this, but there's it's this uh, canticle and this recounting of of praise for the Holy Spirit that we include in our worship. And uh, if you're not able to go to Mass, or even if you are, you can still pull this up at home on your phone or on your computer and pray with that sequence as maybe um, kind of a jump start, uh, a writing prompt, as it were, for your praise of of. God, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to mention. Um, you know, it's certainly the liturgy, um, especially as you get into the medieval period. At least so far as I can understand it, I'm I'm not a master of liturgical history, but but I notice, um, you know, as as the church assimilates the um, conciliar teaching about the divinity of the Holy Spirit, they, they add, the church adds more and more um, about the Holy Spirit into, into the Mass. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've studied this a little bit, and, and it certainly is, um, it's very rich. We have a very, our liturgy is very rich. And so we're able to, um, to praise the Holy Spirit um, at different points in the liturgy uh, and to, to enter into that, that Trinitarian mystery. But I think, I think that that in terms of our lives, um, you know, the the this to me, just simply um, being present at at the holy sacrifice of the mass is just an incredible thing, and it's uh, to me that right there, that right there is is a the Holy Spirit. You can you can I can feel the Holy Spirit there. So I think we're all missing that right now. Yeah. You know, you can you can't you can feel it on TV. But you, you can't feel it um, like it is right there when you're right there with Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. it's just it's just an amazing thing. We're very blessed as Catholics. It's been such a privilege to talk today with Dr. Matthew Levering, who is the James N. and Mary D. Perry Jr. Chair of Theology at Mundelein Seminary. He's got this book. We've got a link to it over on our social media called Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Love and Gift in the Trinity. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I loved it. Hey, thank you for having me. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Levering or you want to share this episode with others, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. I invite you to go there, share it on your social media, listen to it again, and enjoy it. And if you just can't get enough of it, well, I've got good news there as well. Uh, Each week, I record a little bit extra, a couple extra questions with each guest as a gift to give to all those people who support the show through Patreon. 
So if you want to be a part of that, simply go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. You just click that link and for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to our support community where all of these extra segments are stored. Not only do you get the ones going forward, but you get all of them that have come before as well. So I want to invite you to come over and be a part of that network. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from scripture and from church history. That's the sound, of course, of the Verbum Library launching as we look at today's reading from Scripture from Paul's epistle to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, we know that all creation is groaning in labor pains, even until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, we were saved. Now hope that sees is not hope. For who hopes for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit too comes to the aid of our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intercession of the Spirit because he intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. That reading comes from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 8. And I want to sit here a little bit because the world has been a little bit mad lately. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, but between, between the quarantine and the, the divisions that we see politically and socially, it becomes very easy to see that the world has lost its way. And here's the danger right? We who have Christ, we who have the Holy Spirit, we too are in danger of making this worse. And this is how. The moment that we look at the world and see the brokenness and think, oh, well, I know the answer. I've got this figured out. If they would just do this, 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 and this, everything would be fine. And we have this tendency to do that specifically in our social media saturated world. We have these very strong opinions. We, uh, we surround ourselves with people who share those opinions, whatever side of the spectrum we end up on, and we are convinced in ourselves that we have the right way, that we know the right thing to do, and everyone else who differs from us is just wrong. But here Paul tells us we do not know how we should pray, and we, we see the devastation around us. And we ought to be filled with groanings that words cannot express because there is such devastation. And so I want to invite you to, um, to take a moment or several moments and ask the Holy Spirit to give you this discernment of self, for you to be able to look into your own heart and see our own inadequacies in handling these problems and to recognize that we don't see fully, we don't see clearly, and we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in this spirit of humility to come and intercede with us and through us for the sake of the world to the Father. And so, looking at this again, we ourselves groan. We groan because we await the redemption of our bodies, but we also groan because we await the redemption of the whole world. God isn't going to destroy this world simply to destroy it. 
God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. God's desire is always to redeem and restore what is, to resurrect what is, to resurrect our bodies as frail and as as fallen as they are, just as he resurrected the body of Christ pierced, the body of Christ with its wounds. So too he wants to resurrect our bodies, and so too he wants to resurrect and renew the whole world. As he says in the psalmist, send forth your spirit and renew the face of the earth. And so that should be our prayer. It should be our prayer when we look at uh, the, the devastation of, um, of, of the whole cosmos, but also when we look at the devastation wrought in the human heart between factions here as we look at, at our society before us. Ask that the Holy Spirit would come and intercede for us and to recognize and this is probably the hardest part, to recognize that we don't know how we should pray. And so in that acknowledgement to abandon ourselves to God and to say, come, give me wisdom. Come and help me understand. Come and help me pray. And the Spirit himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the Spirit because he intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. Let's go ahead and look at our reading from church history, as this comes from the breviary on the day of Pentecost. It's from a treatise against heresies by St. Irenaeus. When the Lord told his disciples to go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he conferred on them the power of giving men new life in God. He had promised through the prophets that in these last days he would pour out his spirit on his servants and handmaids, and that they would prophesy. So when the Son of God became the Son of Man, the Spirit also descended upon him, becoming accustomed in this way to dwelling with the human race, to living in men, and to inhabiting God's creation. The Spirit accomplished the Father's will in men who had grown old in sin— and gave them new life in Christ. Luke says that the Spirit came down on the disciples at Pentecost, after the Lord's ascension, with the power to open the gates of life to all nations and to make known to them the new covenant. So it was that men of every language joined in singing one song of praise to God, and scattered tribes restored to unity by the Spirit were offered to the Father as the firstfruits of all the nations. This was why the Lord had promised to send the Advocate. He was to prepare us as an offering to God, like dry flour, which cannot become one lump of dough, one loaf of bread, without moisture. We, who are many, could not become one in Christ Jesus without the water that comes down from heaven. And like the parched ground which yields no harvest unless it receives moisture, we, who are once like a waterless tree, could never have lived and borne fruit without this abundant rainfall from above. Through the baptism that liberates us from change and decay, we have become one in body. Through the Spirit, we have become one in soul. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God came down upon the Lord. And the Lord in turn gave this spirit to his church, 
sending the advocate from heaven into all the world, into which, according to his own words, the devil too had been cast down like lightning. If we are not to be scorched and made unfruitful, we need the Jew of God. Since we have our accuser, we need an advocate as well. And so the Lord, in his pity for man, who had fallen into the hand of brigands, having himself bound up his wounds and left for his care two coins bearing the royal image, entrusted him to the Holy Spirit. Now, through the Spirit, the image and inscription of the Father and Son have been given to us, and it is our duty to use the coin committed to our charge and make it yield a rich profit for the Lord. That reading comes from A Treatise Against Heresies by St. Irenaeus. What I want to leave you with here today is kind of a conglomeration of everything we've talked about. It's that any relationship that we have with the Spirit, any understanding that we have of the Spirit, anything that we can do through the power of the Spirit, each of these things is completely beyond our reach. Each of these things relies completely on the action and the work of God. And we ourselves, can, without God, can do nothing. We can't understand even how to pray in these difficult situations. We, we can't understand how to know who the Holy Spirit is or how to define uh, the action of the Holy Spirit without the, the enlightenment of that same Spirit. We can't find our way into, into the union with God and union with one another without that same Spirit. Our own healing, our own, uh, both individually and corporately, can come only by the action of the Spirit. And even as we exercise the gifts of the Spirit, as it says there in our reading, uh, that he promised that the, through his prophets in the last days, he would pour out his spirits on his servants and handmaids and that they would prophesy, right? We, we often say, ooh, they would prophesy. And we miss the fact that they would prophesy through the Spirit, that it's not the action of the sons and daughters of God, the servants and handmaids. It's completely the action of God that brings these things about. And so the only way that that can happen in any level, whether it be through healing individually or socially, whether it be through understanding uh, the scripture or the world around us, whether it be praying with knowledge, or whether it be all the way through teaching and prophesying, each of these things require one thing. They require our abandonment to God, our humility to say, I don't have this. I don't understand this, but I give myself up fully to you. And I say with Mary, whatever it is, Lord, fiat, let it be done to me according to your word. And in that, we come to have a deep and abiding relationship with the Godhead, with the Holy Trinity. That's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen Herman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join the ongoing conversation over at Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.